Hey everyone, this is Evan Wickham, and thanks for listening to the Park Hill Church Podcast. Park Hill Church is a community, and we're committed to practicing the way of Jesus together in San Diego. Today is the second Sunday of Advent. And so, in the spirit of the season, as you may know from last week, we decided to do something special with the podcast. Advent is the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And so in addition to doing a new series on justice, we decided to do some pretty cool interviews with some of the most important people in our church, hands down, uh, the kids. So all through Advent, before each sermon, we'll catch up with some Park Hill kids and ask them questions about their favorite Christmas stories and traditions, and we'll hear what Advent means to them in their words. It'll be super fun. So in a few minutes, we'll get to this week's teaching, but first... Give it up for Park Hill Kids. Hi, my name is Ariel. Who am I talking to today? What's your name? Micah. Micah, I'm so glad you're here. Micah, can you tell us how old you are? Four. Four years old. That's a lot of numbers. That's so cool. Micah, what is your favorite thing about Christmas? Um, having people f- over. Having people over? Who comes to your house for Christmas? Well, um, this Christmas, Parker and, Parker and um, Zoe are coming over for Christmas. That's going to be so fun. Do you have a favorite Christmas story in the Bible? Um, and Jesus is firstborn. Jesus is firstborn. That's beautiful. What happened when Jesus was firstborn? Um, well, the horsey. There was a horsey? Mm-hmm. Were there some other animals? Mm-hmm. That they rode to the little um, temple where all of um, the animals stayed. Yes. I love that part of the story, too. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are there any other things you love about Christmas? Not really. Not really? Tell me what's on your tree. Ornaments. What kind of ornaments? We got kind of golden red ornaments, and we got a blue ornament, and we got a reindeer, and there's lots of other ornaments. I love it all. I'm sure your tree just looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today, Micah. It was so good to hear from you. I'll see you at church on Sunday. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks so much, Evan. Um, I adore the work that God is doing here at Park Hill. I feel really deeply connected. Also, they told me that the 11 a.m. service is a little bit more fun and lively, which I feel like we can't say on any recording, but hey, you're living up to it right there. So just know that I'm expectant of that from you. I hope that's okay. Um, also, just a little, little disclaimer. This is a new era to preach with masks. 
So in my head, you're all beaming, smiling at me. That's that's the narrative I'm telling myself. And feel free to just be as responsive. Like head nods are amazing. Little praise hands, if you anything like that. It just helps me feel that you're with me. Um, also, I, I love that we've got art and wine on one side and an incredible shopping experience on the other. I, I'm not quite sure what magical land I've landed in, but definitely not in England anymore. <laughs> I've had the great joy for the last seven years of living in the United Kingdom where airplanes don't fly overhead when you are preaching (laughs) and services outside aren't accompanied by palm trees with sparkling lights. I mean, I'm just enjoying and leaning into the glory. And... Evan mentioned uh, a little bit of the setup, but the thing that I've just been most hungry for, not only this Christmas season, but just this last year and in my life, is I am hungry for the intimate presence of Jesus. And the, the message title for today is Advent Justice, What Does It Mean for Us to Practice the Presence of God? And I pray that what we walk away with this morning is just a deeper hunger for the presence of the God who is with us, not just in the month of December, but in all of the seasons of our lives. I, as Evan said, found out yesterday that I was preaching here today. These are just such fun interactions. I'm just going to lean into the adventure of airplanes and children fishing things out of ponds and the occasional clock tower. I'm having fun with it, so I hope you do too. Um, We found out yesterday that I'd be preaching today. And so on the drive down here, I really should have been reviewing my notes while I drove in legal and healthy ways, just in my mind. Has anyone seen The Queen's Gambit, that Netflix series? Uh, So in The Queen's Gambit, which may or may not recommend, there's this chess set (laughs) and she's playing chess on her ceiling in her head. And as a preacher, that's sometimes what I do with my notes. I'm like, okay, does this move lead us to this place? And have I thought through all the pieces? But instead of doing any of that and the car drive down here, I was just transfixed by singing worship songs. Just took that drive and and said, how can I let my heart's attention and adoration be given to Jesus in new ways? And I I sing a really old one um, that some of you might know. It's from Keith Green. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. And when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. And one of the things I love about the church throughout the ages and the church of God today is we don't just speak forth, but we sing forth our adoration of Christ. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. And you're in the midst of this series thinking about what does it mean for us to live lives of justice and faith? And I, I told Evan, I, I'm really just thinking about our hearts. And, and he texted me back, in order for us to do justice out there, our hearts must be settled towards Christ in here. And so I just want to set up, and we're going to look at Anna the prophetess and the story of Advent and the longing and the waiting and the expectation. But as we set that up, I'm just going to ask a question which I think would be true for most of us. Prophetic pause. (laughs) For how many of of us has this felt like a somewhat difficult year? How many of us had a challenging moment or two this year? Okay, cool. Good. We're together. You're with me. 
And in this year that's been filled with so many challenges and questions, if you ask me what's the one lesson I've learned more than anything else, it was just this, to lean into intimacy with Jesus. Not just to speak about him, but to know him. Not just to go to the gatherings, but to give my heart's attention and adoration to him. And because most of you don't know what my life has looked like, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a personal as we lead into the message. Uh, I live in Cornwall, which is on the coast of England. poetic pause. Our lockdown was fairly severe. For three months, we could only leave the house for exercise. So I decided for the first time in my life to start exercising. (laughs) That started with a few walks and ended with me climbing Kilimanjaro, but that's another story for another day. I mean, that's what everyone did during lockdown, right? Climbed Kilimanjaro. (laughs) And I started walking every day and I walked the Cornwall coast 450 miles. 15 or 20 miles a day. And for the first time in 37 years of knowing Jesus, I began to pray just and have conversation with Jesus. I wasn't praying to get anything. I wasn't praying to ask for a list of questions. Life was clear of so many other things. I even had time to make kimchi for the first time. (laughs) And I just walked and talked And I prayed in the name of God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit, and I spoke to Jesus about whatever it was that I saw around me. And interestingly, perhaps this is just for me, but I found that as I walked, the things that came up into my heart, often they were really old wounds, and I'd have blisters on my toes and blisters in my heart, and I'd be frustrated that neither of them were healing as quickly as I wanted them to. And if you ask me to sum up all of that month of prayer and conversation, I would simply say this. There's a story in the Orthodox way of a monk who is asked by a younger person, but you just prayed all day? Didn't that get terribly boring? And the monk said, well, in prayer, I fall and get back up again and fall and get back up again. And I fall and I am raised back up again. And whatever it is that your year has looked like, I would imagine in all of our hearts, there's this longing that life might look different to the way that it looks today. There's a weariness, and we hear the hymn, The Weary World Rejoices, but we must ask, where does our rejoicing come from? And spoiler alert, I found the answer my whole life long is only ever Jesus. And we're going to look at a woman in the Gospel of Luke who, to me, embodies this characteristic of expectant waiting and longing intimacy for the presence of God. Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38, we're going to read the story of Anna. Oh, and I'm going to set up the 11 a.m. for success. I'll read the scripture, and then I'm going to say at the end, this is the word of the Lord, and then you guys get to say, thanks be to God. Got it? Okay. It's, it's like my favorite part of any scripture reading. It's a little bit Anglican, but you can pretend like you're in Britain with me for a moment. Luke chapter 2, verse 36. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel. She was of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. 
She lived with her husband for seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. And she did not depart from the temple. She worshiped with fasting and prayer night and day and coming up at that very hour when Jesus appeared, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Amazing. I really like it. It's like we get to actively give thanks for scripture every time it's proclaimed. Anna's an extraordinary character. She's not one we always hear about during the Advent season. I find her absolutely remarkable. If this were the first century era and I could, she's the person I'd be most likely to ask if she'd walk over to Moniker with me and have a coffee. <laughs> Tell me all her secrets. She's a prophetess. She's one who proclaims and foretells the word of the Lord. She's walked in long obedience and faithfulness and longing. And from the very moment that she meets Jesus, she begins to proclaim his goodness and his kindness, his authority and his truth. She's one who speaks forth the power of the God who has come to be among us. And when I think about Anna, I think it's sometimes helpful to give a little bit of the wider context of Scripture. Last week, Evan introduced the Advent Justice series, and he started with Genesis 18, which was the first time I have heard a Advent message, or any Christmas message really, lead off in the book of Genesis. And it's helpful sometimes for us to think about, where does this story fit in the wider arc of Scripture? And so what I'd like us to do for a moment is just zoom out from the Anna story for one, one or two scriptures. And an analogy I like to use for this is how many of us have an iPhone? Does anyone have an iPhone? I mean, it's San Diego County, so I'd imagine one or two of us. So if you notice that on the newer versions of the phone, you can go wider and wider with the lens. So I'm standing here and it used to be that I could capture just this really stylish front row. Fabulous hair, by the way. You're, that green is just really does well for you. Okay, then you were able to go a little bit wider and now suddenly I can see, oh, here's Evan Sandy on this side and you might even get a little bit of the art and wine wall. I'd imagine pretty soon you're gonna be able to zoom out and get like a 360 degree angle. Like I'll be able to be sitting here and tell you that there's a Christmas tree behind me in a picture. <laughs> It's helpful when we zoom out from the particular details of Scripture to look at the wider narrative arc because we can sometimes be so consumed in our own moment that we forget there is a long story of God's faithfulness. And Anna the prophetess, wow, that is so much more dramatic than anything I did for a service, Evan. Um, thanks for laughing with me. I appreciate it. Anna the prophetess lives within this moment where she's in the temple worshiping. And she's in a place where the temple was known as the place where the presence of God rested. And this would have been the story of all of scripture. But in Exodus chapter three, verse 11, we find the picture that Moses is given of the Lord's presence with him, where it says these words, so perfectly segued. We are actually the dream team here. Exodus chapter three, verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go and deliver my children out of Egypt? And God says to Moses, I will be with you. And this will be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. 
The expectation of the people of God was that the presence of God with them would bring deliverance from the things of which they could not deliver themselves, and that that deliverance was always given for the sake of intimacy. And Anna, who's worshiping at the temple, just want us to feel for a moment almost as though we know her. The things that we know about this worshiper in the time of Jesus' arrival is that she was named as a prophetess. She's named as the one who forth tells truth. She has the gift of speaking forth the word of God in a way that reaches hearts and minds. She walks in the long generation of the prophetesses of the Old Testament. I hope you know these women. They're women like Deborah, who leads a nation to war, and the king says, I will not go to war unless Deborah the prophetess goes with me to the battlefield. It's women like Huldah, who is not only the keeper of the wardrobe, but the one who the king consults for the direction of the future of the nation. It's women like Esther who walk in faithful obedience and live lives that change the trajectory of a whole generation to follow. It's women like Hannah who sing forth a song of joy for the promise of God that they have not yet seen. It's women like Mary, the unexpected choice to carry the life of God himself. It's women like the four daughters of Philip who speak forth truth. I could keep going, but you get the point, right? I, I hope you know this, like just a little aside. This one's for free. God loves to use women. <laughs> there is a calling on the lives of a generation, including the men and women of God, to proclaim forth the truth of a gospel that sets us free. And Anna walks faithfully in the temple of God, the place where we are expectant that the intimate presence of God is available for us. It says that she's the daughter of Phanuel. She's of the tribe of Asher. And then we're told this, this fact about her. We're told that she is advanced in years. Or one of the other commentators says that she is stricken in years. I would not use that phrase with any of your elderly friends and family. Just don't think it goes over very well. Most commentators would say she's between 84 and 103 years old. And she's lived most of her life as a widow. And so just lean in for a moment to Anna's place in this Advent story. She's one who in many ways might have been written off to be used as the proclaimer of the gospel. Because she is, first of all, old, and secondly, a widow, and thirdly, in first century Judaism, because she is a woman, she would have been at best the unexpected choice to be the first one to proclaim the gospel of God. And I wonder if in some ways, a small part of why she is included in the way that she is in this Christmas story is quite simply to remind us, prophetic pause, quite simply to remind us that our God never writes us off. I wonder if there's anyone here this year who has felt a bit weak, a bit weary, a bit overwhelmed by the circumstances and questions and changing politics and laws and confusion and debates and the fact that nobody can seem to get it right. And Anna would have been in many ways the one who would have been an unexpected choice 
And yet we found over and over again in Scripture, and I have found in my life, that God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. And when I think of the examples of what that's looked like, I I think of a, a missionary hero of mine named Amy Carmichael. Some of you will have heard of her. She was born and raised in Ireland. She moved to India and she rescued temple children from prostitution before the words human trafficking were even in our vocabulary. She gave her life to redeeming these children and her work was so controversial that church after church stopped supporting her because they said, what you're doing is outside of the bounds of the normal church planters. Why are you rescuing temple children? We can no longer support your work. And towards the end of her life, for the last 20 years, she was so weak that all she could do was pray. All she could do was practice the presence of God. All that she could do was spend time in conversation with Jesus. And during that time, some of the most beautiful fruitfulness of her organization existed while she lay in a sickbed. And her biography opens with this beautiful poem that says, Two glad services are ours. Both our master loves to bless. First we serve him in our strength, then in all our feebleness. And just if there's anyone here today who's felt weak, I just pray that you're encouraged and being reminded that what God wants is the attention of our hearts, and we can give him that regardless of our physical state. And Anna, this worshiper, Anna, the one who is waiting and watching and longing, it says that the things that she chooses to do with her life and her time is she's present in the temple, she's worshiping, she's fasting, and she is there night and day. And then Jesus arrives, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, she has this revelation that this child, this unexpected baby, is the long-awaited Messiah, the hope of all Israel. And it says that what she begins to do is she proclaims of Jesus coming to all those who are waiting for redemption in Jerusalem. And what I want to just lean us into from Anna's life are two ideas. First, Anna models for us a long obedience and faithfulness in walking with Jesus. And secondly, she models for us what it means to speak of the hope of Jesus. And both of these things come from the intimacy that she has cultivated because our ability to be people who carry justice who carry hope and who carry life to the world will always be birthed first from our own personal, practical, intimate relationship with Christ. I love an Advent writer named Fleming Rutledge, and she's written a phenomenal book on Christ, the once and coming King. And she says, we are both waiting expectantly for and bearing witness to the coming of Jesus. And I think for us in this Christmas season, those two tensions are the two tensions into which we live. If I preach here often, I'd have like a different hand motion for every uh, plane that came by, and it would be like a fun experience for everybody. A long obedience and a willingness to speak of Christ. Let's start with this idea of a long obedience. I'm 37 years old now, so I'm like medium old, right? (laughs) 
I have been saying maybe I've half my life in ministry, but at first service, I decided I'm a third of my life in ministry. Got two thirds yet ahead. But I want to be the one who is faithful for a long obedience towards Christ. I want to be able to look back and say, by the grace of God, I loved Jesus and I walked with him for all the days of my life. And one of the things I'm deeply passionate about is that neither our church nor our world can stomach another generation of Christian leaders who perform well on platforms and yet in private betray the holiness of God. One of the things I'm passionate about is that we don't need more flashy leaders or more celebrity leaders or more packaged leaders, but we need leaders who are men and women who walk in a long obedience of faithfulness and radiate the love of Jesus Christ. Clap for that. Flames for that. I live in England now, but when I come back to America, I get to see a variety of friends, some of whom are actually in tremendous places of Christian leadership and influence. And when I see the ones who I'm in honor and respect of, first of all, we all laugh that God chose to use us. Like we... (laughs) We literally think it's hilarious that God is allowing us to be the one who are used because we remember all of our bad hairstyles. (laughs) We remember our uncool clothing. We remember our questions at the back of In-N-Out Burgers when we were teenagers still figuring out whether or not we were Calvinists. (laughs) I'll just, I will say this, Evan and Sandy are better with age. (laughs) They were great when they were younger, but we've looked at pictures from all of our like 20s and we're like, oh gosh, um, there there were some outfit choices that we potentially could have avoided. We'll save that for some sort of photo album montage at some point. The first thing we often do is we just laugh that we are the unexpected ones that God has chosen to use. But the leaders who I really respect when I think about that long obedience and leaning into the presence and intimacy of Christ, there's five things that I consistently find amongst leaders I respect. First, we are more passionate than ever before about a whole life holiness to Christ. It's not a burden. It's not a checklist. It's not moralism. But we say, God, you have all of my heart and my time. There's no back room. There's no internet page. There's no relationship in my life that is not submitted to you, Christ, as King. We're passionate about a whole life holiness to Christ. Second, and these will not be rocket science. I'm just going to forewarn you. Second, we read our Bibles. We read our Bibles every day. We read our Bibles like they are the broken bread to feed our hungry souls. We read our Bibles and we find that God's word is to us new every morning, just like his mercies, Lamentations chapter 2. We read his word and we're surprised that even though we've read it for years, it's like an adventure and a treasure hunt and a beauty and a wonder. Third, we pray. Again, not rocket science. But we pray like our lives depend on it because we have found that they do. Pray as though...
We pray as though knocking on heaven's doors with bruised knuckles. We pray and we sing and we pray and we draw and we pray and we dance and we pray and we cry. We pray and this one's been big for me. We pray and we listen. Do you remember that old, old song? Some of you might know this. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Don't read your Bible before I get to pray, and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. That's how I got to be six feet tall. Oh, no, wait. We pray. Fourth, we're passionate about the work of the Holy Spirit. We expect that the Spirit is redeeming and restoring and renewing We'd heard about the Spirit of God. And yet we found that we are captivated and charmed and entranced by the way that the Spirit of God has done what we could never have done for ourselves. And if you ever wonder what makes us most excited and proud, it might actually sometimes be you. The work that God is doing in your lives and the way we've borne witness to it. And fifth, we love Jesus. He's our rock and our redeemer and our savior and our refuge and our friend. He's the dew of the morning. He's the evening star. When we hear his name, sometimes we cry because they told us that Jesus was good, but we didn't know he was so good. We sang this song, his name is like honey on our lips. His spirit's like water to our souls. We love Jesus. And when I think of the story of Anna, I think of a woman who didn't look at her circumstances. She didn't look at her challenges. She didn't look at the reasons why she could have given you a list of injustices. She looked to Jesus, and when she did, she was captivated and charmed and entranced, and she forgot the years of waiting as though they were nothing. And then we're told that what Anna does is she turns her heart's attention, and she does two things that are extraordinary, but they're very simple as well. She gives thanks to God and she begins to speak of him for all those who are waiting for redemption. And I, I don't know about you, but I found a, a number of times this year I need to reorder my heart. Does anyone else relate to just occasionally you need to reorder your heart? You just find there's some stuff there. Such a simple act that has reordered my heart is giving thanks. Just choosing to find one or two things today for which you are thankful And I think that sometimes the more ordinary they are, the more beautifully they rearrange our souls. Thank you, Jesus, that I get to be at Park Hill in San Diego with palm trees behind me and airplanes over me and people who have actual Bibles open. Thank you, Jesus, that I had a great coffee from Moniker that was brought to me by... Thank you, Jesus, for whatever it is. Thank you, Jesus, for Evan and Sandy Wickham and the way that they have loved and encouraged me for over 20 years of my life in ministry. Give thanks to God, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. 
And then what Anna begins to do, the birth of intimacy in her life, is it gives her a message to proclaim. And when Anna begins to speak of him, it's out of the overflow of her heart. And I'm passionate about sharing our faith. But when people ask me, how should I learn to share my faith? I often say just this simple thing. Enjoy Jesus yourself. Enjoy Jesus yourself. Love Jesus yourself. Know Jesus yourself. And out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. This Christmas season, I pray that you enjoy in such a way that it is the overflow of joy to speak of him. And then if you ask me a second piece of advice, I would quote a 16th century theologian named Blaise Pascal, who says these words, make the truth beautiful. Make good men and women wish it were true and then show that it is. Make the truth beautiful. Make good men and women wish it were true and then show that it is. I live in England, and um, one of the groups that I have the great joy... One of the groups I have the great joy of walking with towards Jesus are a group of taco salesmen. I did befriend them originally for the tacos. They know, but maybe don't tell them. Um, There's 12 of them. I think I'm the only Christian they know, but I'm certainly the only Christian who's in their lives regularly. Uh, One of them has a praying grandmother, and I'm confident that my friendship with her was birthed out of the prayers of that grandmother. And we sit for hours, and we wrestle through faith and life. Like, we talk about life, death, love, hell, sex, and everything in between. (laughs) And quite often, I think I've said something deeply profound about the gospel of Jesus Christ— I think I've told the story of the renewing hope of faith in a way that's absolutely startling. And then I find that they've forgotten that whole conversation and probably were not fully present for other reasons that I won't say on a microphone. But one of them, he calls me his mentor. He's the leader of the group, and I think he'll be a great pastor someday. He said to me, Sarah, do you know what my favorite thing is that you've taught me? And I said, no, what? My incredible good looks. (laughs) My fabulous cooking skills. Oh, no, none of those things. Good. He said, my favorite thing that you've taught me is Pascal's wager, the same gentleman I quoted earlier. If you live life as though there is a God, you will live a more beautiful and true and hopeful and faithful life than if you live as though there is not. And so I'm not yet persuaded that your Jesus is real and true, although you give me a really good case for him. But the way that you live is so compelling that I wish that he was as true as you say that he is. And when we speak of Jesus, we're called to speak of him in so many ways and so many places. But I would just invite you this Christmas season, make the truth beautiful. Make the good men and women in your life wish that it were true. And then show in the way that you live and you love that it is. I'm just going to land us with a a little story. I come from the birthplace of a movement that were called the Jesus people, and I love that because I'll be a Jesus people all my days. 
And in the 70s, there was such a tremendous work of the Holy Spirit that Time magazine featured the Christian church on its cover. May it be so and more again for our future. And the Time magazine article reporters came to watch a baptism and they wrote these words. These Jesus people, they live as though the supernatural God who was born 2,000 years ago is alive today. They are passionate about an intense and personal relationship with Jesus. And they believe that knowing him changes their everyday actions. And as the bell tolls, people of God, our invitation is to live as though our lives revolve in intimacy with a divine king, Christ, the once and coming king, who did not just come 2,000 years ago, but is present as God with us today. Your invitation is to know him so well that it is your joy to speak of him. And I'm just going to lead us into a little bit of a response, and I'm going to set up why we do this. I believe that when we respond to the gospel, we're saying, I don't just want to hear good ideas. I want the Holy Spirit to change the shape of my heart. I don't come to church that I can pat myself on the back and say, I've learned so many things. We come to church and say, God, reorder my affections, reorder my heart. And so I'm just going to invite us to respond by physically standing because I found that sometimes the shape of my heart changes the shape of my um, soul. And the two places I'm just going to invite us to pray into, and perhaps just hold out your hands if you'd like to receive prayer in one of these two areas, is first, if you'd like to just receive prayer for a refreshment of the Holy Spirit this Christmas season. If you've heard me speak about the long obedience of Anna and you would just say, I've been weary. I'm weary of what is happening in my world. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would refresh me. Just invite you to hold out your hands for that prayer. Um, And secondly, perhaps you've heard me speak about Anna and the confidence and the boldness with which she proclaimed the gospel. And you might just say, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd give me new words. Give me new language. Enable me to be the one who speaks forth the beauty of who Jesus is in a way that is both winsome and also wins some for the sake of the gospel. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and be present among us. I pray that you would speak to the hearts and the minds and the lives of my brothers and sisters who are here. And we ask that you would reveal to us any place where we might need to repent, to turn from. If there's any sin that we need to confess, just take a moment right now to settle that with God. Know that he does not keep a score against us. It says that he has taken our sin and cast it as far as the east is from the west. But if there's just even in your heart, a small root of bitterness. I'll ask the Holy Spirit to uproot that weed. Don't give it any more space. If there are the echoes of lust, 
if there's the gangrene of gossip, if there are any of these things that you might just say, Holy Spirit, I turn from these things. Just make it right with him. And now I pray, uh, just like the, the water flowed from the rock, that the water of your Holy Spirit would flow over the people of God. We are thirsty and parched without you, Holy Spirit. Come bring springs of refreshing to our souls. May the wind that is blowing right now remind us of the wind of the Holy Spirit's presence. And I pray an anointing over the words that will be proclaimed by the people of God this Christmas season. May we be those who speak forth the peace and the reconciliation and the hope of your gospel. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.